Me being a follower of Jesus isn't because it's you know, a personal preference, a, just a hobby or something, or something I just like. We come together because God has come to us and he's revealed something to us that is very special, a message of comfort and joy. And so before I say a thing, I think it's right that we acknowledge God and that we ask for his help that we might understand the comfort and joy that he offers us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christmas, which is about the birth of Jesus Christ into this world, is very much good reason to celebrate, to rejoice. And it comes with us a, a wonderful announcement of comfort and joy. As we look to see what you have revealed to us in your word, the Bible, we pray that we might understand and receive the comfort and joy that you offer to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. On Thursday morning, I was at a breakfast with a lot of other ministers of churches around town and also ministry leaders. And during that breakfast, I was having quite a chat to Nat Sperry, uh, who heads up um, the base services and second shot stuff. And there's a number of other organisations as well who do a lot of work to provide comfort and joy to people who are doing it tough, who are in really, really hard places. You may have seen that they're collecting together Christmas hampers to provide for the homeless, not only those who come to them who are homeless who are in need of, of things, but also they're going out actively to give those to people. I was asking about, what's he doing Christmas Day? Christmas lunch together, they're putting together a Christmas lunch for homeless people. And I really love when you see that, when people think, there are people really doing it tough. How can I bring comfort and joy to them? And it kind of got me inspired. I thought to myself, maybe after our Christmas morning service, I might head on down to the beach to a five-star resort and see people there in this premium five-star resort by the, re- by, by the beach, there with a nice fancy drink in the hand, and put my arm around those people really doing it tough and say, oh, what can I do to help you? Now, obviously I'm being sarcastic there, but it highlights an important point on this theme of comfort. Comfort requires hardship. In other words, there can be no comfort if there is not first hardship and difficulty. In fact, there are two things which must exist for comfort to make sense and to be received. Firstly, there needs to be something wrong. And secondly, you need to acknowledge that there is something wrong. Let me illustrate that for you. If I was on a holiday overseas and my house burnt down in Australia and I didn't know about it and someone comes up to me on holidays, puts their arm around me and says, Steve, sorry to hear about your home. I'm here for you, bro. That's just going to seem weird. If I just think, my house isn't burning down. This stranger's put his arm around me. That's weird. There's no comfort there. Just because something's wrong doesn't automatically mean that comfort makes sense or that it is received. 
Obviously, on the other hand, if I was overseas, my house burnt down and someone who I knew called me to let me know my house burnt down and the same scenario transpired, then now, because there is a problem and I'm aware of the problem, comfort makes sense and can be received. Our Christmas theme this year is Things We Sing at Christmas. Now we're looking at some of the traditional carols that we sing that thousands flock together and sing. And I want to stop and think for a moment. Let's not just sing about hope. Why would people settle for singing about hope when we can have hope? Today we're looking at the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Particularly that phrase, tidings of comfort and joy. And so we look at comfort from what? How are we comforted? And how do we receive this comfort and joy? In the reading we had beforehand from Isaiah, written 700 years before, before, before Jesus was born, the opening words of that chapter was, Comfort. Comfort my people. Yet we've already said, in order for comfort to make sense and be received... There needs to be something wrong, and we need to recognise that there's something wrong. What we didn't read before that is in chapter 39, Isaiah is describing to the ancient Jewish people that because they had rebelled against God, because they'd been disobedient and rejected him and dishonoured him, God was going to bring the Babylonians to come take them out of their land as captive servants and slaves as the consequences for their rebellion against God. Yet it's interesting, the very next chapter, it's God, the one who has been offended, who says to the people who have offended him, I want to give you comfort. And then when we think about the fact, the one who's been wronged is the highest authority there ever has been, ever will be, So the higher the authority, the greater offence, and he says, comfort my people. Now that might sound a little bit odd to us, mightn't it? That someone who has been wronged, offended, disrespected, dishonoured, would do anything for the benefit of those who have done the dishonouring and the offence. But it gives us good insight into God's character and also gives us good insight as a sort of background as to how the message of Christmas, of Jesus being born into our world, can provide comfort. Now, we're not Jews from 2,700 years ago, but what is our comfort? What is our problem and what is our comfort to that problem? Well, there's a strange line in that song we sang beforehand, God rest ye merry gentlemen. When you first read it, you think, that is just weird. That sounds like the sort of thing that some deranged conspiracy theorist would come up with. Like it says, to save us all from Satan's power while we had gone astray. Now, if you were hearing that for the first time, that somehow there is a claim that all were somehow under Satan's power, that's going to sound a bit odd. And yet it's a claim the Bible also makes. Now, you'd be fair to come to the assumption to think, that doesn't really fit. Now, as I look around, I see the world's not quite right, but if the whole world was under Satan's power, you'd think that everyone would be doing just some vile, really, really evil things. 
Well, we've seen some insights into the nature of God's character. But if you look into Genesis chapter 3, you also get some insights into the nature of Satan's character. Where you see the first example where Satan influenced people to follow him. With the first people created, Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve had been created by God. God had made them. He'd given them everything to enjoy. All he said was just, don't eat from this one tree. They had a perfect relationship with a God who loved them and wanted everything good for them. They had a perfect relationship with each other. No fighting, no death, no sickness. You think, why would you want anything else? And what did Satan do when he came along? Did he do something particularly vile and so disturbingly evil? He approached them and said, God didn't really say that, did he? God didn't really mean it when he said, if you eat from that tree, you will die. No, he's just taken away the fun. You don't need God. You don't need to listen to God. That was the very first example. Adam and Eve, who'd been given everything, all of God's good, good gifts, somehow chose to listen to Satan that we don't need, we don't need God. What I, what I choose for myself will be better. Have you ever noticed that never beforehand did Adam and Eve have any complaints? They're never sitting around together at the campfire and go, oh, wish God would have let us eat from that tree, how ripped off are we? No, it wasn't until Satan put that thought in their mind. For those of you with kids, imagine if, if I saw you instructing your kids saying, don't do this or go and do this, and when you got off the scene, I snuck up to your kids and says, your mum, she's not nice. You can do whatever you want. I'd imagine there'd be some extremely upset parents if I did that, and I promise I won't do it. And as I understand it, every culture around the world has this idea that parents should be honoured and respected. And if parents, who aren't perfect, we make mistakes, aren't perfect, how much more important, if there is a God who created us, who loves us, who has given and provided everything for us, how much more should we honour and respect him? In every setting of parents where kids disobey, they disrespect, parents have consequences. We often talk about the word sin. People will think, oh, particular bad actions, if you do this, that's a sin, that's a sin. But the Bible speaks it more about a view of God and how you relate to him. One part of the Bible says it this way. It says, for although they knew God... They did not honour him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what the Bible says sin is. Sin is just not allowing God to be God. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They thought, God's not God. He's not the ultimate authority. I will be. And you'd be surprised. Everything you see in the world that you don't like is because someone thinks, this is what I want to do. It's just that what some people want to do is particularly Vile and evil. But it's fundamentally an attitude about God. Will you allow God to be God? And if he is God, will you give him thanks, acknowledging that all things that we have, we have because he's given us to him. What happened there in the garden, Adam and Eve changed their view of God. 
from seeing him as the one who is worthy of all honour and respect, the good God who created them and blessed them with every good gift, to making a subtle shift of, sure, he's the creator and he gives us good things, but he's not going to tell me what to do. I know what's best for my life. I'm going to do what seems right in my eyes. He's unnecessary, you could say. Now, we haven't got teenage children, but often you associate this thought with teenagers. Parents should take me everywhere I want to go. They should buy me everything I want. They should clean. They should give me everything, but I don't want to listen to them. I want to do whatever I want. That's effectively the decision that Adam and Eve made. I want God's stuff, but I don't want him. Even though God had outlined the consequences that it would lead to death, they still chose independence. And if you ever notice in this world, the higher authority that you disobey, the greater the consequences. If I go into a library, and admittedly I don't do this, but pretend I go into a library, if a librarian puts up a sign that says, do not talk, if I talk, the consequences are pretty minimal. Although that being said, I did have some pretty scary librarians in the school I grew up in. But if I then disobey, say, a policeman, the consequences get higher. And here what Adam and Eve had done was to rebel, was to dishonour and disrespect the highest authority and also the king who is good in everything he does. Well, that's clearly a problem for them. Why is it our problem? In the Bible it says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All of us have inherited, as we are descended from the first humans, Adam and Eve. You may have noticed that in this last year even scientific research has gone down to say that all of humanity came from two people. We share in his attributes that we don't want God to tell us what to do. We want to make our own, live our own way. And we share an inheritance, inheritance and consequence of death because of our rejection of God. That's our problem. But we also said for there to be something wrong is a necessary foundation to receive comfort. So how are we comforted? Well, if you've read any of the four biographies of Jesus, that's the Gospels accounts in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you can't help but notice that this Jesus who's come into the world is God. The the very same God that we had rebelled, dishonoured and disrespected. And part of you've got to think, if we have dishonoured, disrespected, disobeyed the highest authority that there is, if they come to us, that might not be a good thing. Like every child at some point has heard the voice from their mother or father, don't make me come over there. That's kind of like a threat of you're doing the wrong thing and if I come over to you, there's going to be consequences. And as the mother or father gets up off the lounge, you think this is not going to end well. I'm yet to hear a child see their mother or father get off the lounge and say, praise the Lord, here is an opportunity for comfort and joy. The one I've offended is coming to me. Kids, feel free to try it. So how can there be comfort and joy when the highest authority 
our creator that we turned our backs on comes to us. You'll notice even in the example we had in the reading in Isaiah chapter 40, where it began with comfort my people, what it goes on to talk about as being the way in which they comfort is God coming to the very people who had dishonoured him. Even before Jesus was born, one of the angels came to Joseph, who was considering divorcing Mary when he found out that she was pregnant. And we see something about this child to be born as the angel communicates this to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Before it even had a breath, it was declared this child will save people from their sins. That Jesus didn't come to give people the punishment they deserve for their sins. Jesus came to bear and take the punishment for our sins on our behalf as a substitute so we don't have to. Jesus' death on a cross wasn't an unfortunate ending. It was the plan. Jesus said so himself. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So the problem is that our sins, as in that is our dishonouring of God, not wanting him in our life, not wanting to honour him as God and giving him thanks, that's the problem. And the comfort is we don't have to bear the punishment for our own rejection of God because Jesus bore that punishment for us. Now, we've all seen those stories on social media where there's someone who's in a really, really deep need and a stranger somehow comes onto the scene and either helps them pays a debt or helps them rescues them from some situation. And we share that stuff all over the place because there's something about those stories that really resonates with us. And I'll put it to you, the reason why those stories resonate with us is that it's the story that deep down we long for. That there's something within us that knows that we need a rescue. That we know that we need someone outside of ourselves to pay a debt that we can't pay. It's that question of how do I, as an imperfect person, become right with a perfect God? And as far as I can think about it, that's the question pretty much every religion in the world tries to solve. Recognize we're not perfect. If there's a God, they must be perfect. How do we make ourselves right with God? Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, he's got the right to be able to say something like that because this is God come to us, which incidentally, the only God who has come and entered into our world is this God. So he has the right to say it. Not only does he have the right to say it, but he actually himself did something about it. He died the death. He died our death on our behalf. This is the most important truth we could hear. But how do we receive this comfort and joy? It would be really easy to say, well, Jesus dealt with it, it must automatically happen. Or maybe I need to grease the wheels, do a few things if I just turn up to church a couple of times, maybe that'll keep him happy. I like to think of it this way. If I had a really serious disease that was going to end up in my death, I'd probably get quite excited if I found out that somewhere in the world someone had put together a cure. But 
that's not going to be comfort and joy unless I actually receive that cure. Just the fact that a cure exists and I know about it and I agree that it exists doesn't bring comfort and joy. Likewise, simply knowing that Jesus is the cure to our deepest needs and deepest problems isn't enough. Just because we can say, yes, I know Jesus did this, we need to receive it for ourselves. And he wants us to receive it. So much he wanted to receive it that he willingly died a cruel death to pay our debt, to pay the consequences for our rebellion against God. In the Bible, the writer in Hebrews says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You hear that? He endured the cross because it brings him joy to save people. Put this way in John's Gospel. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for God's wrath remains upon him. Do you see the contrast the author makes there? Whoever believes has eternal life. It's theirs. But he doesn't say whoever does not believe. He says whoever does not obey won't see that life. The author is trying to make it very clear that believing is not just knowing and agreeing with certain facts about Jesus. If you believe it, you will live by it and you will obey. If our problem was that we'd rebelled against the God who was good, it's great that Jesus has dealt with the consequences of our sins, but if we're truly thankful, if that means something to us that, yeah, I should have honoured him, I haven't treated him as God, then we should be asking him, God, forgive me, I haven't honoured you the way in which I should. I haven't treated you as God. You've given me all these good things. And thank Jesus that he died for us. And if we're thankful that he died for the consequences of us rebelling against God, then clearly we don't want to continue to rebel against him. Asking, God, help me how to live for you. I thank you that you have sent Jesus, pay the price of my sin, help me to change. Help me to live for you. Help me to know you more. You don't need special words in your prayers. Prayers is talking to God. Maybe you know someone you've come along with or someone you've met this morning that you know they know Jesus. You might want to talk to them a bit more. Or sometimes we just might have that little bit of a fear. It's like, the, I'm not so sure about this. Changing to live my whole life to follow this Jesus, who I don't know too much about at this point in time, that might seem a little bit scary. I often think about myself, I think, doing what Steve thinks is good, that's scary. And let's face it, what we've just looked at is that for the rest of our life, we've been quite happily obeying Satan every day without winking an eyelid at all. Or maybe you think, well, this is serious. You know, if this is a lifelong commitment, if this is a complete change of heart towards rebellion against God, to living with and for God, then I'm not going to rush into that, and that's a wise thing. On the back table there are things wrapped in Christmas paper which have two things. One has a copy of one of the Gospel accounts, I think the Gospel of Luke, and a book called Three to One that just explains the basic Christian message. And if you'd like to take one of those, either for yourself or a friend, then that's our gift here. But this Christmas... We want to be a time when people find comfort and joy. There would be no greater joy to me than to know that 
as people gather around in Christmas time, amongst all of the other excitement things, that the true centre of what Christmas is about, that Jesus came, the God that we had offended entered into our world, not to give us what we deserve, but to take our punishment for us, that we could be right relationship with God and now an eternity with him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we get so busy this time of the year and we forget so much. We get so caught up just doing little things and we forget to remember that at the heart we are focusing that a saviour was born, that you came to us to do what we could never do for ourselves. Lord, help us to see, find and celebrate the comfort and joy that Jesus was born. And not just born, that he was born and came with a mission that he would lay down his life as a ransom for many. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to continue in our series, Things We Sing at Christmas, and we get our song we're going to focus around is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But right now,